Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today's podcast is going to be a short one, but we're going to be talking about taxes. So my CPA, Chris Bacuro, and I did a million-dollar call with our Seven Figure Altitude members. So if you're not familiar with our mastermind group, Seven Figure Altitude, we do a monthly million-dollar call, and we just recently did one on taxes and some of the strategies. It was a two-hour call. Chris came on for an hour, for an hour talked about uh, big picture stuff. And then for an hour, I talked about all the detailed things that I've done in the past few years to reduce my tax burden uh, significantly. So a couple of years ago, about three, four years ago, I had a $150,000 tax bill and I vowed to never go through that again. So uh, I've been focused on that. I've been doing my own taxes since I was 18 years old. And uh, for the last four or five years, I've had a professional do them since I started all my businesses. So Chris is my uh, t- accountant for the past couple of years. And I thought I would come on the podcast to share some broad strategies with you that hopefully will help you now that we're at the end of the year, you guys are kind of in crunch time to do all the things that you need to do in the last few weeks. So um, that's what I'm going to talk about today. It's just going to be me talking with you guys a little bit about taxes and a couple of strategies that you could think about. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, everybody, let's talk about taxes. So 2020 has been a crazy year. If you are, um, depending on where you are in your business, uh, lots of things could have happened uh, this year for you. You could have made a ton of money. You could have lost some money. You could have broken even. You'd be all over the place. But at the end of the year, every year, I kind of think the tax strategy starts on January 1st, if not before, right, for the year. But at the end of the year, there's some things that you can do and think about to help you um, Um, make the best. Now that you know what you've made, you've known what the year has looked like, you can make some very strategic moves uh, towards the end of the year. I jotted down a couple of notes and some things that I've done for you to think about. And I'm not going to talk in detail about what I'm doing, but these are some ideas and some things that you could think about in your business and your life. Everybody's uh, individual situation is different. So I highly encourage you talk to a CPA, uh, talk to an attorney, a state planner, whatever it is that you need to talk to in your particular um, situation. like your situation, go do that. But here's a couple of ideas and some things that a lot of our members inside of our mastermind group are doing, using, and thinking about this time of year. So one thing for me uh, that I like to do every year is I like to put money into my 401k, my retirement plan. So I fund, you guys probably heard uh, my friend Tom Lonnie on here talking about the infinite banking concept, this life insurance policies that I have. So I fund that. I fund my Roth IRA. So if you uh, make too much money to fund a Roth IRA or you think that you do, there's something called a backdoor Roth IRA that a lot of high net worth people do. And basically it's just putting money into a traditional IRA. It's not uh, uh, using after-tax money to fill up your traditional IRA and then converting it to Roth. And so I do a backdoor Roth IRA for myself and my wife. And then uh, I also have a employer plan, a 401k plan for my company. So before I had any employees, I used a solo 401k. Now I have a safe harbor 401k since I have some W-2 employees. And I'm, a, I'm allowed to put money into my 401k. So I fill up my Roth. And then I do a uh, pre-tax um, uh, like bonus from the company. So the company match that I have. So the company matches money and that's a tax deduction. So 
it's pre-tax money that goes into my traditional 401k plan. So I can do that. That's one thing that I do to reduce my taxable burden. So that's a write-off on the taxes. And um, I, I like filling up the 401k. So I do IRA, I do my life insurance policy, then I do my 401k. And I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, but uh, 2020, I think is $58,000 max per person for a, a solo 401k SEP IRA type uh structure or a safe harbor like I have. So that's uh, one thing that I do. Then, and I, I really like that. The other thing is HSA. So a health savings account is another uh, tax benefit that you could have if you have a high deductible insurance plan. So an HSA is another uh, thing you might want to look into. And you can self-direct these accounts. So I have all mine self-directed. I do loans. I invest in multifamily buildings. I do all kinds of stuff inside my IRAs and 401ks. I don't have an HSA because I'm still in the military and I have TRICARE. Uh, it's a low deductible plan. But if you have a high deductible uh, plan, you could look into an HSA. Some pretty cool stuff you can do with that. Um, the other thing that uh, could have happened to you this year, and hopefully you took advantage of it, was some capital loss harvesting, potentially, if you're invested in the stock market. So um, when you have some losses in the stock market, what you can do is you can actually sell your stock at a loss and then go buy something that's kind of comparable but not the same, right? And go buy it, and then it could go up. So this, I don't know, stock market was down around 18000 um, at some point, and it's over 30000 now. So as you see your stocks going up and down, you can uh, you can basically capital lost harvest or capital gain harvest, potentially, depending on what you want to do uh, for your stocks. So something to think about, you might just want to Google capital loss harvesting and, uh, and look into that. So there's a couple different things that you can uh, find similar, but not, um, not exact um, index funds, things like that, that a lot of people use when their stocks go down significantly. You can take that capital loss, uh, put it on the books, and then go buy uh, something else around that same price that, that can then go up in the future. So uh, that's something that I've done in the past a lot of when I was investing in the stock market. So if any of you are still in the stock market, capital loss harvesting is something you can think about. Uh, the section 179 deduction is one that I really uh, like and you should look into. It's basically about buying some heavy equipment and machinery for your business. So think uh, airplanes, vehicles, um, construction equipment, stuff like that. Um, and you could do a bonus depreciation where you can appreciate 100% of this in year one. So if you put it into service, so you still have time in December to go buy something. And you could, let's say you buy a big heavy truck, right? An F-350 or something for your business. And you put it into service on December 31st. And you use it 100% for business uh, that day of December 31st is in service. Then for 2020, you can write off 100% of that potentially under the section 179 deduction for your business. So you can take it and um, not only do you have to, you don't have to pay cash for this either. That's a really cool thing. So I always thought I had to pay cash for this stuff, but you can finance it. You can finance 100% of that vehicle and write it off and get a major deduction on your taxes under 179. So take a look into that, section 179 deduction. I did a YouTube video on it earlier this year. You can go to YouTube, our seven-figure flipping YouTube channel, and check out our section 179 deduction video. I go into a lot more detail on that. I've done... Um, some sections 179 deductions on my taxes. I have an airplane that I fly around for the business now. And uh, I absolutely love flying the airplane, but I was able to depreciate it. And then as I fix up the avionics and do paint and, and make repairs and do different things to it, it's a business write-off for me. So 
The other thing is opportunity zones. So opportunity zones is another area you might want to look into if you're buying and holding residential real estate or commercial real estate in an opportunity zone. There's a lot of um, a lot of things that you can do with that. It might be a little bit too late to set up an opportunity zone fund this year, um, but something to think about, look into, and see if your area is in an opportunity zone. I'm not going to go into too many details, but that is a good uh, thing to, to look at and think about. Um, the other thing that you can do is a cost segregation study. So I mentioned bonus depreciation. If you have rental property or you have commercial real estate, there's the opportunity to do a cost segregation study. And even a single family home, you're probably depreciating it year over year, right? And if you're not, you should be because whether you depreciate it or not, the IRS looks at it like it should have been depreciated. So always, 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 you have to depreciate your real estate, okay? So with a commercial building or a, a rental property, you're able to do a cost segregation study on this and then do bonus depreciation where you can actually depreciate that piece of real estate in year one instead of over 27 and a half years or depending on what it is, it, it, there's different uh, timelines and structures for each of these uh, items inside the property. So. This is massive for us and really what has allowed me to reduce my taxable income the past couple of years. And I started buying commercial real estate, apartments, things like that, and being involved in syndications, getting Schedule Cs with major losses on them because we did bonus depreciation in year one. So big write-offs for me to allow me to reduce my active income. And the reason I'm allowed to reduce my active income is because I'm a real estate professional. So take a look at, at qualifying for a real estate professional. If you work a full-time job and you're just a part-time real estate investor, um, one strategy is to, if you're married and your spouse stays at home, then consider trying to get, have your spouse become a real estate professional. Um, if you're a full-time real estate investor, you really don't have a problem qualifying as a real estate professional. Just talk to your CPA, tell them, I want to figure out how to qualify as a real estate professional. That way you can take these, the, all this depreciation that we're talking about, all these write-offs, all these different things, and offset your active income. And that's the key. If you make three, four $400,000 active income, but you have $500,000 in losses, next thing you know, you're writing off a $100,000 loss in, your, in that year for taxes. And so that brings me to my next point. So cost segregation studies, bonus depreciation, big write-offs on your taxes. Um, one recommendation I have for you is uh, for single family homes is a company called KBKG. So I think it's kbkg.com. You can go there and they have a software tool that you can use. Just check with your CPA and make sure that they're willing to, to sign your return using um, that as your cost segregation study. You basically input a, some information about it. It's like five or $600 per property as opposed to thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars for larger commercial buildings. And uh, it's one way to go for your cost segs for your single family rentals. If you bought 15 single family rentals this year, and you can do individual cost segregations on each of them, do bonus depreciation in year one, you can have massive write-offs this year to reduce your active income if you're a real estate professional. So from that, so let's use that example that I had. I had a $400,000 of active income. I wrote off $500,000 on Schedule Cs because of bonus depreciation and all the other things that I had going on, right? So I have this $100,000 in loss. So then one thing that I can do, which is really cool, is let's say I put all that money into my traditional 401k, right? And that I talked about all that company match in that 401k, maybe it's 36, $37,000. Well, I can take that and convert that from traditional to Roth. And that's a taxable event, right? So it was a tax write-off that $37,000 that went in there was a tax write-off. But my conversion now would be at my tax bracket. Well, if I have a $100,000 loss and I converted $37,000 from my traditional to my Roth, 
my taxes on that are going to be zero. So it's basically a free conversion from traditional to Roth that I can then grow for the next 30 years, 40 years, however old you are, however long you're going to grow that inside of your IRA or 401k, tax-free because it's moved over to a Roth. So that's uh, the structure of basically converting retirement plans when you have some losses or looking at your tax bracket and strategically converting that money. I've been doing that for the past couple of years, converting my traditional uh, 401k money over into Roth 401k money and basically getting the tax write off a few years ago and now converting it because I am in a low tax bracket because I have large write offs for depreciation. So hopefully that helps uh, and triggers a couple things for you. And by all means, um, play this for your CPA or whoever you're working with and give them some ideas. And maybe they say that you can't do that in your situation, but um, start thinking about this and strategically planning for it, especially at the end of the year. Um, the other thing is, is taking a look at like moving around some income. So if you're, in a, if you're in a high tax bracket, so you're the big breadwinner of your family, you might have some other people in the family that could work for your business. So if you're a business owner, your spouse could do some marketing or could do some admin work and they might be, uh, your spouse is going to be in your same tax bracket because you're probably uh, married filing jointly. But what about your kids? Your kids are in a low tax bracket. Maybe they're under 18 and, um, and they can get paid $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 to do some things for the business. Maybe they're doing admin work. Maybe they're taking pictures. Maybe they're sweeping out houses. Maybe they're painting. Maybe they're doing landscaping. Maybe they're uh, doing some marketing. Maybe they're models for your business. There's all kinds of things that they could be doing for your company. And you could basically take, pay them $10,000 as an example towards their business. They're in a tax bracket of zero, right? So their taxable liability on that money is very low. And then that's a write-off for your business that that $10,000 comes off of your income as the business owner and the company that's making money and moving over and shifting to somebody who's in a lower tax bracket. So something to think about, a lot of people will pay their kids. There's a lot of information and videos and things like that that are out there for that. But consider doing that and look at the um, look at the, uh, like this, the election for, um, um, drawing a blank here, your, um, uh, what you can write off each year is just over $12,000. So you're, um, uh, I don't know, I'm live here and I'm not going to remember what it is, but, um, so anything under that, so under, you know, 12, five, 12, six, 12, eight, whatever it is for the, um, standard deduction, that's what I'm looking for. That standard deduction, probably people like driving down the road, like standard deduction is standard deduction. So, okay, I got it. So standard deduction, anything under that, then it's not going to be taxable for them because they're going to have the standard deduction to write off. So um, think about that. So anything over like $12,000, $12,500, dollars whatever the standard deduction is. And, um, and you can shift some of that income if they're legitimately doing work for your business, right? They have to legitimately be doing things in order for you to pay them. Dot your I's, cross your T's, have a contract with them, have an employment agreement, put them on payroll. They should be W-2 employees, all those things. And then if they get paid W-2 employee income, then they can create a Roth IRA and they can start contributing to their Roth IRA. At, even as, as little kids can have a Roth IRA as long as they have W-2 income. I remember as I was growing up, I was at a W-2 job and my dad would always push me to put money into my Roth IRA. Uh, the, the maximum was $2,000 a year at that time. It's crazy to think that. It's at $6,000 now. So $2,000 I could put in my uh, Roth IRA. And uh, he would really push me to do that as I was getting W-2 jobs as I was getting a little bit older. So something you can do and start thinking about your kids and their retirement plans, start teaching them about money too. So let's see. What else? The last thing that I, I really want to talk about is 
being smart about how you spend money towards the end of the year. So there's a lot of sales going on right now, Christmas sales. Uh, we just had like Thanksgiving, Black Friday sales and all that stuff, Cyber Monday. And start thinking about what you need for your business. And maybe you need it in January and February, but it's ideal to spend it in December. So um, maybe it's a computer, maybe it's some upgraded um, monitors, maybe it's some lighting, maybe it's camera equipment, maybe it's uh, some equipment for your business. Maybe it's a, a saw or things like that, that can become assets to your business that you can eventually depreciate and write off potentially. So think about that. Get, spend that expense in uh, in 2020, because what you're going to do is now when you write that off in 2020, instead of January 1st, 2021, you can move and shift your expenses into the previous year. And so that's going to give you deductions. You're going to spend the money anyway, a month from now. And what it will do is it'll shift all of that to 2020. So you'll see that benefit in potentially April, 2021, as opposed to April, 2022. So if you spent that money on January 1st, 2021, you wouldn't see that deduction for over a year, about, you know, 15 months if you filed um, on time. And I guarantee most of you don't. So you might be a year and a half or more before you see the benefit of that. So think about some of that stuff. How can you shift some of your expenses? What we used to do is we used to take the marketing costs. So all the marketing costs that we were going to spend in January, 2021, and we would spend it at the end of December and get a credit with our mailhouse so that we can like basically supercharge our expenses in 20, in, in the previous tax year get that deduction right away because we're going to spend the money anyway in the next few months. So why not you know, talk, call up your um, call up your mailhouse, call up some other vendors and say, hey, can I buy credit with you for the next maybe the next quarter and spend the marketing money now, get the write-off, reduce your taxable burden, and, and then next year when you move into January, you can you know, see bigger profits and not have to pay taxes on that money for over a year. So some other things to think about. I always look at that, like, uh, how do I increase my expenditures? But I don't go out and buy things that you wouldn't normally buy. So if you're not going to buy a computer, you're not going to buy monitors, you're not going to buy cameras, and you're just trying to get a write-off, please don't do that. Don't go buy a car or a big truck or an airplane or anything like that. If you're just looking for a deduction, you're still spending money to get the deductions, okay? So that's one thing. The other thing that you can do is if you've got training courses or events that you're going to plan for 2021 and you got to buy plane tickets and hotel rooms and stuff like that and spend money, then go spend that money in December instead of January. Maybe it's a, uh, like our mastermind members are on a payment plan, a monthly payment plan. So what I, what I would do is I would pay all of that right up front. I would pay it in December of 2020. And then I would get the benefit right now of that write-off. And instead of waiting and paying like monthly and paying more money. So one thing for mastermind members, you can go pay in full. You can pay for a course, a training. Um, you can go to 500kchallenge.com and grab our $100 course and write it off this year in December. So there's lots of things that you can do to, to spend some of the money that you would in the future in December. But again, only spend that money if you were going to spend it anyway. So if you're a mastermind member, you're committed to pay and on the payment plan, it costs more, right? So why not you know, lock that in right now in December, and you can actually write that off now and get the benefit by April 15th, 2021, instead of April, 2022. So think about some of that stuff. Like where are you spending your money? Really take stock in it. Sit down over these next couple of weeks before the end of the year and strategically look at your books, look at your P&Ls, look at your balance sheets, figure out where you are and where you're potentially going to end up. Hopefully you're working with your CPA and you're coming up with strategic plans of where you are and where you're going to land. And then you can make some moves here towards the end of the year. There are some things that you can fund all the way up to April 15th. 
um, to that will account for 2020. It's not going to be expenses, but it could be some retirement accounts and things like that. But ultimately, by December 31st, that clock strikes and that's it. January 1st, the expenses and expenditures that you're doing are going into 2021's tax year. So I try to do this podcast every year. I try to talk about this. We did a deep, deep dive in our seven-figure altitude. I mean, two hours of talking about this. I shared all of my strategies, exactly how I'm doing it, how they could potentially do it. Some big ones are bonus depreciation in uh, some of the cost segregation studies of like large apartment buildings that I'm involved in. So I'd recommend you get involved in some of that stuff. Section 179, the um, income shifting from uh, you to your kids, potentially 401ks and matching, and then uh, expenses like supercharging your expenses in December is is a great option. You're going to spend it anyway in January, um, get some depreciable assets, spend some marketing money, um, any other contractors that you're working with that you know you're going to continue to work with, stuff like that. Can you pay up front? Uh, maybe it's Home Depot, Lowe's, things like that. Get some credits, um, lots of different things that you could do there. Uh, paying off your mastermind events, courses, trainings, uh, booking flights, stuff like that, and spending money. So um, hopefully those are some good tips. Some other one other thing that I have is if you guys aren't spending money on a credit card and being smart about it, paying it off every month, that has some cash back and cash rewards uh, items involved in it, you should. I mean, I'm getting fifteen dollars to $20,000 checks per year for the amount of money that we spend on our credit cards with cash back. So I'll get a check in like February or March, and it'll be $10,000, $15,000, something like that, which is a cash back from the credit card. So think about that. Obviously, it's merchants like me and other companies that are paying, you know, two and a half, three 3%, and you're getting 2% cash back. But take advantage of it, definitely use it. So hopefully this helps. Um, if you want to be involved in our million dollar calls, all these things that we're doing inside the mastermind group, just go to sevenfigurealtitude.com. So the number sevenfigurealtitude.com, submit an application, talk to us, see if it's the right fit for you. Again, we, we only take people that are doing about 10 or more deals a year, uh, you know, $200,000 or more in profit. You guys already have a systemized business and we can just help you grow and scale to that next level, add some team members, grow your team, get out of the day to day and, and help you and just be a community and resource for you. We have an amazing community of people. It's curated. We only let certain people in. Like It has to be the right fit for us and the right fit for you. So go to sevenfigurealtitude.com. Check that out. And uh, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hopefully this quick one helped. It's uh, all taxes right now. It's the thing that I'm focused on the most. And uh, hopefully it helps you uh, move forward into uh, out of uh, 2020 into 2021. So uh, we've got some incredible podcasts to end the year coming up. So stick with us and I can't wait to share my year in review, what my plans are for 2021. And I got a, a couple of cool announcements that we have um, brewing right now. So uh, go to sevenfigurealtitude.com, jump in, submit an application. If you want to write off, go to 500kchallenge.com, spend a hundred bucks, get a write off for uh, 2020, jump into the challenge, raise some money. And oh, one more thing before I go. Um, the other thing that you could do is if you have, um, if you have investors and lenders that are um, on an annual note and they're renewing their note, but they don't want to get their interest paid, you can do a paper conversion. So let's say you had a $100,000 investor, they have $12,000 of interest in 2020. You can renew their note for $112,000. So they made 12% interest, $12,000, $112,000. That's a, a $12,000 payment on a new note that you can write off and roll into the next year. So it could be a deduction that you can have on your business too. So uh, it's a little... Um, tricky secret that I have that I like to use. If my investors are not cashing out and not wanting to get their interest paid, I can roll it into the next year by renewing the note and make a paper transaction. So hopefully that helps. Uh, I'll see you guys on the next podcast. That's a little bonus for you. Bye.
What if you could raise $500,000 of private capital in the next 30 days to fund your real estate deals? How would that change your business? How would that change your life? I've put together a 30-day challenge that will walk you through how to get access to all the private funding you'll ever need at incredibly low interest rates on your terms when you need it. It's called the 500K Challenge. This is the same system I've used to raise over $15 million the past few years. And you're not just going to learn how to raise it. You're going to actually start finding this money yourself within the next 30 days as you go through the challenge. This is the single most important skill any real estate investor needs to have, whether you're flipping houses, buying multifamily properties, wholesaling, or anything else. Jump in and start raising private money now at 500kchallenge.com. I'll see you guys on the inside.